Hello, I'm Dr. Sarah Jarvis, your host for the Hepcast, a podcast series about the people fighting to eliminate hepatitis C, a disease that affects 71 million people worldwide. Today's episode is the second in our two UK in focus episodes, which will discuss collaboration and the impact and importance of multi-stakeholder partnerships to achieve elimination in the UK. We're also joined by three expert women to discuss how their organizations are working together to tackle hepatitis in their local area and to learn lessons about how healthcare providers can overcome the challenges of multi-stakeholder collaboration. The UK has a publicly funded healthcare system free at the point of access, the National Health Service or NHS. The healthcare system is devolved across the four countries in the UK, England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. And that means local governments make decisions about the health and care services in their country. We have Diane Williams. She is the Hepatitis C Network Manager for the West Yorkshire Operational Delivery Network at Leeds Teaching Hospital NHS Trust. Stacey Smith is the Director of Nursing at Humankind, a health and social care charity that focuses on a number of at-risk populations. She has over 25 years experience working with substance misuse organisations. Shabana Begum, who had hepatitis C, was diagnosed and treated over 16 years ago. She currently works for a patient-led charity, the Hepatitis C Trust, where she's South Asian Project Officer for the UK. Now, Shabana, of course, you're also living with hepatitis C. Tell us about when you first knew that you were living with it. I actually was diagnosed and treated 15 years ago. So I've cleared the virus. But since then, I did uh, about four years voluntary work with the Hepatitis C Trust promoting awareness within the South Asian community. And uh, then I've been working with the Trust just over 10 years now. Wow, that's amazing. Now, it sounds as if you were diagnosed and got treatment pretty quickly. What, what prompted you to, to, well, to get diagnosed? I'd been suffering for a good many years with various ailments and turning up at my GP and uh, complaining about the ailments and him prescribing various drugs um, that obviously did not work. I was suffering from what was diagnosed to be IBS as well and I underwent a minor operation. And the surgeon actually said that my insides looked like something out of a picture book (laughs) at the time. And he said, well, there's nothing wrong with you. So why are you complaining? Ah, okay. Interesting. So I actually went back to the GP again, complaining about my ailments. And then I said to him, well, is there some, there's something wrong with me? I know there's something wrong and you're not diagnosing me correctly. So he tested me for the routine tests and they all came back negative. And he said to me at the time, he said, do you know what, Miss Begum, you've been on antidepressants for a while now. I think it's in your head. You're not suffering from anything. And I said, it's not in my head when I can feel it. It's like every hair on my body hurts. So you went back to your GP. He did the routine test, which, of course, would not have included hepatitis screening, I suspect, especially if your liver function was normal. Uh, What did he say when those tests came back negative? He basically said that because you've been on antidepressants, you may be um, suffering from symptoms that you think that you are feeling, but it might just be in your head. And I said, well, the thing is, I don't know what's wrong with me. Are there any more tests? He said, there are. There are two tests. One's hepatitis and the other one is HIV. And then I asked him, I go, well, why did you not test me for those two as well? 
as the other routine tests. And he said, well, you're a very respectable Asian lady. I've known you for a number of years and I did not want to offend you in any which way. And I said to him, can, please, can you test me? I've been abroad. I've lived in Pakistan. I've lived in Saudi Arabia. I've undergone treatments there. I've had children in Saudi as well. Can you please test me for both? So he put the test through. And then I think it was about three or four weeks later, he said, well, the good news is you don't have HIV. And I thought, oh, thank the Lord I live. Because at that time, I think a lot of people were dying with HIV AIDS. And uh, I don't think there was any such treatment available at that time either. Certainly not in the same degree there is now. And he said, well, hold your horses. You've got hepatitis. Now, I've got a background in beauty. So obviously doing my anatomy and physiology at the time in the textbook, it was like you had hepatitis A, hepatitis B, and then there was a non, non-A and B. Yes, non-A, non-B. When I was a medical student, it was non-A, non-B because we hadn't actually worked out what it was yet. What it was, correct. So basically at that point, um, I said to him, oh, well, you know, wave of my hands, that's not a problem. I'll clear that. He said, actually, it's a bit serious and you may undergo a treatment which is like chemotherapy. And at that point, I said, hang on a minute, chemotherapy. Have you just said chemotherapy? (laughs) He goes, yes, I have. Unfortunately, I don't know anything about it. Not that much information on this type of hepatitis, but you've got hepatitis C. And for that, the treatment is like chemotherapy. And I'll be referring you to the hospital, to the specialist and the specialist nurse. And once they give you the information, can you forward it to me as well? So I get educated on that topic. And I I was like, I think at that point, I just went blank. I didn't hear any of it or it didn't sink in what he was saying. And I basically said, hang on a minute, you've just said uh, chemotherapy. Does that mean I have cancer? Is that cancer? Am I going to die? (laughs) You know? I mean, I can only begin to imagine what was going through your mind. But I'm I'm very interested going back to this idea that, you know, for all the right reasons, he meant well when he said, oh, you're a respectable Asian lady. I didn't want to offend you by suggesting hepatitis because, of course, people, there is stigma attached to it and so on. So he'd made that assumption. What about within your own community when you were diagnosed? Well, that was very difficult because at that point in time, I was actually going through a divorce as well against my parents and family's requests. So if I told my family that I had hepatitis or I was undergoing chemotherapy type treatment, they would have looked at me and said, oh, she's a sympathy seeker now. She's wanting some sympathy. So I actually didn't tell my family up to two months into treatment. So when I went into hospital, my specialist nurse at the po- at that time, she actually encouraged me to tell my mom and my sister. And she said, why don't you bring them in? They'll know. And I was like, no, 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 no. They're going to turn, turn around and say, I'm wanting some sympathy now because I've made this harsh decision of going through a divorce, um, having five kids. And he, they're, they're not going to agree to it at all. They're going to you know, think differently. But she insisted so much that I told my sister and my mum and they just burst into tears. My sister goes, I've only got one sister. How dare you not tell me? How would we not support you? And they started supporting me. But it was a very difficult time. Oh, I can only begin to imagine. One of my brothers just turned around and said, well, where have you been to have caught it? And I just looked at him and I thought, I was born here, I was brought up here. I've never had a boyfriend, never drunk, never smoked, nothing bad in that way at all. And how dare you even think that, you know, assume that I may have been somewhere to have caught it. 
So yes, it was very difficult. So I'm going to bring in Diane here, if I may, and just ask if this resonates with you. And what, what's your role as hepatitis C network manager? Do you hear stories like this? Yeah, I think for me, um, it's really interesting. I mean, I've been in the NHS now for over 30 years. Like I said, when I joined, I was in the ambulance service. And I think the role, you know, when I look at hepatitis, the only thing I knew about it was from needle stick injuries. And that was about it. What it has done for me as a network manager is actually opened my eyes as to what is actually going on. And then when you start looking online, you find out a lot of this information. And like I said, you know, hearing Shabana's backstory, it was quite shocking for me because I'd never come across this, even within the communities that I live in within Leeds. It's, you know, it's nothing like that for me. So as the network manager for hepatitis C, my role is working with the um, ODN team, but doing the non-clinical aspect. So it's about making sure that all the systems and processes are in place, that we've got um, governance documents all out there that they're up to date, and actually collating with the different organisations and getting to know people in the area. And so for me, it's about that pivotal role. And it's something that the clinicians, because they're too busy working on the clinical side. So what we do is we actually have outreach clinics all around West Yorkshire and in secondary care that we have for patients with hepatitis C to be seen and treated. We also work in collaboration with drug and alcohol services and with the Hepatitis C Trust to make sure that we can support patients into treatment. Another element of the role is also raising the awareness because although we have health professionals out there, a lot of them like me in my previous roles, I wasn't aware you know, of actually what hepatitis was and what it can actually do and what it means. So we often go out, whether it's to be uh, primary care, um, to you know, target events where we talk to GPs and raise you know, the sort of profile and awareness of hepatitis C and also about the new treatment that's out there as well. Because again, people talk about the treatment that, you know, Shabana had just alluded to, where actually there's this new treatment out there that, you know, between eight and 12 weeks, people can be treated. Yet a lot of, you know, GPs still aren't aware of this. I don't think there's any question that there is not enough awareness, both among the public um, and, as Shabana has pointed out, uh, among GPs. But of course, I, I do have sympathy with her GP because we do still tend to think of hepatitis, apart from hepatitis A, of course, being something that relates to people who use drugs, that relates to homeless communities and so on. So I do understand that lots of other things might be going through your mind and it might not be front of mind, but clearly it needs to be, as we've discovered in Shabana's case. Now, a little bird tells me that all three of your organizations recently received awards for collaboration. So can you take turns perhaps and tell me a little bit about what that means to you? Let's start with you, Diane. I think for us, the recent award that we actually received was for a project that we did with the HMPs where we would, it was a programme called The Hit, where it was high intensity test and treat, where we worked with um, Care UK, with the Hepatitis C Trust, and we tested all the inmates in HMP Leeds for Hepatitis C. Now, this was the first time this had been done across the country. 
And um, for us, it was like a blank piece of paper. How do we get this project up and running? And it was really that we wanted to target it to start on World Hepatitis Day, which was last year. It was amazing because, again, we had three organisations, all with different agendas that we pulled together. We had plans together and we actually, you know, it worked really well. And we tested over um, 700 inmates on one weekend last year, which was just absolutely amazing. We then did a a second one as well um, in February. And again, it worked really well, but we learned from that. But I think, again, it's that joint working. We have the, you know, the hepatitis C trust there speaking to people who had, you know, they had lived experience so they could help. We have the Care UK, again, they had their healthcare regime and we were there to support initially with the testing and then to treat people. And I think the fact that we could do this, you know, within a two week period, it was absolutely brilliant. And then to get, you know, acknowledgement of this as well has been absolutely brilliant. Stacey. I'm sure yours, it's going to be very tough to beat that, quite frankly. <laughs> um, but tell me about your collaboration mm-hmm. and what you got your award for. And in particular, what challenges humankind faced in terms of deciding to collaborate and pulling it together? Our award was around a video which was put out through Leeds and up in the centre of Leeds. And it was um, service user involvement talking to service users about being tested and talking about some of the stories that it's not the old treatment, it's the new treatment. You know, it's it's safe, it's, it's, um, it's not as painful, it's easy to do, it doesn't affect your mental health. So it was about trying to, you know, put that out there that you can get treatment, please come forward for treatment. That was the collaboration with uh, the audience and with Leeds. Oh, fantastic. Okay, so you worked with the ODN as well, so the Operation Delivery oh, Network. We did. At least. So, so Diane and you have got have got history. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have. <laughs> Shabana, what do you know about these projects? Peers from the Hepatitis C Trust have done an excellent job uh, in collaboration with the ODN and uh, Humankind as well because they helped develop and get people on board for the video as well that was shown in Leeds. And obviously working in the prisons, the peers had a lot to do with that as well, getting into the prisons and helping test people there as well, the inmates as well. Diane, what sort of partnerships and collaborations are taking place in your area? Because first we need to raise awareness, then we need to get people tested, then we need to get people diagnosed. And only when we've done that can we start working towards this WHO uh, target of elimination of hepatitis C by 2030. So some of the collaborations in our area has been with um, drug and alcohol services. And I think that's really come to the forefront in the last year or so. It's helped us to actually understand what they actually do, you know, in relation to hepatitis C, what we can do to support them. So what we've had to do is work very closely with these groups to understand you know, what they have, what the actual number looks like, what does the prevalence look like in their groups and how we can support them. And then also working closely with the Hepatitis C Trust and their volunteers, because once we know who these patients are, there is a reluctance to go there. And if we can actually, you know, know, pair them up, show them and get them to speak to somebody who's lived that experience. So say a lot of our work has been around this. I want to bring in Stacey, uh, because Stacey, you've got the most extraordinary experience. I mean, over 25 years experience of working with substance misuse organisations. We've already heard that people with substance misuse issues are not the only people who develop hepatitis C. And that maybe is the single most important message to get out there. But the fact remains 
that they are a high-risk group. So tell us a little bit about your role as the Director of Nursing at Humankind and more about the organisation and what its goals are. So my role at Humankind is to manage the nursing element of uh, the work that we do, but I'm also the lead for BBVs, for infection prevention and control, uh, for service user health, but also for our harm, our, uh, Humankind's harm reduction lead as well. So remind us what BBVs are. So a blood-borne virus is so for for us, it's hepatitis C and it's also for hepatitis B. We were providing services for 76,000 people last year. Um, and we have very changing goals this year, obviously, because of the COVID pandemic. But our main goals are addressing health and social inequality across the country. And the, the main two goals for this year was looking at developing and integrating our digital offer and offering, including apps and face-to-face digital interventions, because obviously we weren't able to see face-to-face during the COVID lockdown and also uh, adapting our services to be safe and more effective through the COVID pandemic. They're very important goals, obviously, to maintain that contact with people. Now, I'm really interested in that because, of course, if we think about digital services, most of us have got much, much more used to digital services in the last eight months, whether we wanted to or not. But One doesn't traditionally think of people who use drugs and people who are homeless as having access to uh, to digital services or indeed having a lifestyle that's organised enough to be able to engage. What are some of the particular challenges you found there? Exactly what you said. Some people didn't have the ability to do that. So we provided that ability for them. For people that found it difficult to get in, we offered, we would, you know, we offered mobile phones so we could contact them by phone. Um, in some of our services, we, we, gave out uh, laptops so that people could continue with the group through Zoom. And we offered that we have tried to offer places where people, if they lived in hostels, that we could have access through the systems that they had. Um, basically, it was changing the way that people engage with us so that we could still keep that contact if possible, could still have that engagement with them. I think it was interesting as well that we we did maintain people coming into service through the COVID lockdown as well. So people that had to be seen, we saw them and dry blood spot testing was part of that as well. So we, we kept as much as possible the treatment element and the testing element for hepatitis C open and running. Fantastic. So, I mean, I think for hepatitis C, there's no question there has been a challenge because of the populations that it is seen more often in. But one of the issues that I've heard several times before, indeed in one of our previous podcasts, was somebody who had been using drugs who said that actually having hepatitis C made it harder for him to turn his life around, harder for him to come off the drugs. Have you had that experience? Absolutely. I think um, it's one of the realisations that have probably happened in the last two years for drug services that when we're working with people and we're providing, you know, opiate replacement treatment, providing psychosocial interventions, we're working with all the elements that make life hard for people. And we're, we think we're getting somewhere and then people are coming and saying they're feeling unwell, they're 
depressed, they're not motivated. And we constantly think, oh, it's the drug, they're not, you know, they're not complying with treatment or they're using on top. When actually what's happening is, is that they are physically unwell, but it's very much masked by their drug use. So some of the comments that I've had of people saying to me, oh, I feel like a mist has been lifted. I can get all my ducks in a row. I'm not walking around with this virus that's pulling me down. Um, And it's been really interesting to see hepatitis C being very much a core element within services to support people through to recovery. So Shabana, I suspect that rings a lot of bells for you. Clearly in your case, it wasn't about drug recovery, but you were going through an awful lot of the time and you were really struggling. And in fact, it sounds as if the reason that you were struggling so much with all the other aspects of your life was because of hepatitis C. How's your life different now, knowing that you've been cured? And and what does being cured of hepatitis C mean to you? Well, when I had the virus, um, I was, like I mentioned earlier, suffering from a lot of different type of ailments, including depression as well. And I couldn't think clearly, always, you know, let's say brain fog kind of scenario and aches and pains. So bringing up the kids on my own was quite difficult as well. And then the only example I can basically give is when you have a toothache, you want to just wrap yourself up and, you know, in cotton wool and sit in a corner. You don't want to hear or do anything. There's no words to explain how it feels. The thing is, you have to cope with life and you have to get through it and try and do the everyday daily routine of looking after the kids or taking them to school. But you're on a very, very short fuse all the time. And it's not nice for the kids. The kids actually end up hating you for being a parent. Well, after I was diagnosed, I'm much more calmer. I'm much more outgoing. I'm much more loving towards the kids. And they just, they've just turned around and said, well, Mum, we actually thought you were going to die. That's why we put up with everything that you threw at us. We hear a lot about the physical transformation of people who are cured of hepatitis C. But from what you're telling me, there's a real mental health transformation going on here too. Tell me about your experience. Before it was like... Uh, suffered a lot from brain fog and on a short fuse with the kids all the time. But after after the treatment, about a year or so after the treatment, I felt as if, wow, this is this is something new. Um it was like I could smell the flowers and listen to the birds and you know, there was no depression whatsoever. I was happy. Was that what inspired you to take on your role at the Hepatitis C Trust? After I was diagnosed and treated, a year or so after, we went on a trip to Pakistan as well. And there I discovered a lot of the people, even within my family, suffering from Hepatitis C and they wouldn't talk about it. Well, in a lot of cases were coming to light that people that didn't have a voice in the South Asian community, that I was then the voice for them. And that made me even more, you could say, um, enthusiastic to continue with the work. Then when we came back, I was introduced to the Hepatitis C Trust among some some very well-known clinicians as well, had brief chats with them. And they basically said, we would love you to come on board and promote awareness in the South Asian community. And there's a lot of people in the South Asian community that have been, you could say, trodden upon or You know, like when I went through, my family said, you've been somewhere to have caught it. I mean, especially if it was men, the families would think, right, okay, you've definitely been out somewhere and you've caught it. And so I thought, right, okay, I need to be that voice. So I joined, I worked with the Hepatitis C Trust as a volunteer for about three to four years with different campaigns, including, like you mentioned earlier, I think it was the Face It campaign. And that was the first point ever that I was facing public and talking to the public. 
And I really enjoyed that. And that inspired me to do more than I thought, right, okay, I need to do more. I need to get people tested and treated. Inspiring stuff indeed. And, and we will come back, but I just want to to bring in Diane because clearly Shivana is doing amazing things, raising awareness among the South Asian community and very obviously a need, not least stigma. And of course, we tend to think of hepatitis C as being something which results in stigma because people assume that it's related to drug misuse. In the South Asian community, I suspect it's, as you say, it's been it's related to the assumption that women in particular might be going out and about. But you've clearly been doing a huge amount of work as well. Can you tell us about projects or initiatives in West Yorkshire that you're most proud of? I think for me, the most recent one that we've actually worked on has to do with the pandemic and the work that's been, you know, that our team have undertaken with the homeless and vulnerable adults. Because although we've been in lockdown, yet our team of nurses were out there tracking down patients who were, in effect, being put up in accommodation because of the pandemic to test and treat these people. What they realise is that we suddenly have this group of people that were very hard to find previously because they were out on the streets. Suddenly they were locked down in hotels where actually we could access them, get them onto treatment. And I think the work that the nurses undertook doing this was absolutely amazing. But what was even better about this work was we didn't do it on our own. We worked with drug and alcohol services. We worked with the local street teams. It was really good with all the teams that we worked and the collaborations that went together. And I think for me, what that actually did for us was actually give thinking, this is a way that we need to be working, you know, not just in the pandemic, but going forward, because it's a way that we can get this group of people. That's really interesting. From what you're saying, the real key, that the longer term key is the idea of joined up working. Absolutely. You know, it's like a multidisciplinary team. We've all got different things that we bring to the team, but by working together, we could suddenly treat all these patients at like a one-stop shop. I know we've heard that phrase for a long time, but actually it's true. Everything done at one stop. People see us and then they come for us and then they might come for one thing and think, well, actually, I have been tested previously for hepatitis C. Can I get it sorted out now? So we've really sort of, you know, looked at this opportunity and we've managed to get a lot of people treated. So for me, I think that's been a really positive, you know, piece of work and especially around collaborating with other services. Shibana, you've clearly previously lived with hepatitis C. How do you think multi-stakeholder partnership or collaboration would have benefited you? I think it would have been really, really essential at that point because I had nobody to turn to to get any information and then when I was approached by the Hepatitis C Trust, um, it was really good. And I have, um, like Diane was saying, working with other agencies over the years in collaboration, I think it's essential that everybody be there under one umbrella, so to speak. Over the years, I've been able to work with different agencies, get everybody on board. I was successful enough to put together over 30 events over the three years and was able to test, not just test, but engage with over four and a half thousand people. So I recruited family members, friends, people that wanted to come and volunteer with the Hep C Trust, trained them up as volunteers in, from within the South Asian community. And we went, we rolled it out to mosques and Asian festivals. We were basically everywhere for three years. And I don't think there's any town or city that I left no stone unturned. <laughs> well, we're, we're going to come 
back to that. I'm going to come to you, Stacey, if I may, um, and ask about some initiatives or successes that you're particularly proud of. Very similar to Diane. I think the work that we managed to do during the COVID pandemic was absolutely phenomenal. We had to move really fast to make people safe and we managed to do that. Um, We still managed to do driver's spot testing. We still managed to make contact with people. And we also worked, as Diane said, with our partnerships with specialist nurses to get medication out to people that had already started treatment. We all joined together in from a partnership perspective for the same aim, and that was to maintain and keep people safe and keep people engaged in treatment. I think one of the more, the proudest things for me as well is that we, we've managed through this whole last 12 months is to get on-site clinics, uh, you know, substance misuse that people are notorious for not following on with appointments because they don't, you know, they'll come to one place where they feel comfortable, which is usually the substance misuse services, but they wouldn't necessarily then go on to a hospital to get treated. So we have very, very good, strong pathways within our services now where we have on-site treatment so they can come to one place and uh, we match that up with their own treatment so it we then we can tackle dnas and we can keep track of people to make sure that they get through treatment um but to going back one i think one of the strongest points is is our partnership working and the fact that we now have these very managed very clear pathways and we can get to people that wouldn't necessarily come into treatment as well through using our partners like the hepatitis c trust and pharmacists and other services that are out there you know mental health services where we can identify people that wouldn't normally come into treatment Clearly, you've highlighted the particular challenges for people who inject drugs, people who are homeless, and the way that multi-stakeholder partnerships and collaborations can can pull that round, can turn that round and ensure that they get the treatment they need. Shabana, yours is slightly different in as much as you were talking about the South Asian community from your particular experience. How important is it to have people from individual communities leading on engagement? Does does an understanding of the culture, the language, does that help engagement? Oh, yes, very much so. Obviously, being South Asian, if I approach people uh, within the South Asian community, speak their language, wear their clothes, they have you have you're more approachable. People, you have that understanding of the culture and the background and people listen to you. They open up to you. And I think that is essential to have people from the different communities representing their communities, if at all possible. It it just makes sense. It's joined up. It makes sense. Yeah. Can I ask how you think the needs of women with hepatitis C differ from those of men? I think when you combine the fact that you have uh, women who are are substance misusers and also have hepatitis C, we have to make sure, you know, that our services are open to them. There's lots of stigma when you you talk around women. You know, they're they're seen as the natural carers. They don't like coming into services in case it affects them negatively. Um, They sometimes can feel um, controlled. in a sense that if they have male partners who are, are substance misusers, there's all sorts of things that can go on there that you know affects their safeguarding, the issues that does prevent them sometimes entering services. And it's it's a real issue in a sense that we have to, as services, really open our doors in a way that makes them feel safe to come forward because of all the issues that they face, especially again the the stigma. From around um, being infected with hepatitis C, but also the stigma of being a substance misuser. 
when I think about with the women and the issues they have, it was, one of the projects that we undertook was around female street um, sex workers in Leeds. And that was actually really interesting because a lot of the women hadn't come forward because they worried that if they was known to have, um, you know, hepatitis C, it could affect their trade. And so what our team were able to do was work with a charity who works with these group of women to actually say, no, let's find out if you do have it. If you have it, this is a treatment. This is what we can do to support you. And then suddenly what happened was the women came forward, they got tested and then they brought along a friend. I also hope that, of course, what it did for some women was going back to Stacey's comments about you have this fog, you can't get off the drugs. Maybe it allowed some of those women to leave behind their drug use. And we know that not all street workers are drug users, but we do know there are very high levels. So I think a lot of them would have managed to leave the streets as a result. Now, we know, Shabana, exactly what you, you, you've you you've outlined beautifully, the issues uh, of women with hepatitis C, particularly in the South Asian community. But what short-term actions and what long-term actions we need to make to make sure elimination stays on track. So let's think first about the short-term actions. What do organizations like yours, what does the wider society need to do to make sure elimination remains on track in the short term? I think for the short term, um, whatever we're doing, we're doing right. But we need to make that more extensive and more widespread. So raising awareness is one thing. I mean, but trying to get people into testing is another issue as well, especially with the South Asian community. They will listen to you. Like I said, I've been to the mosques uh, and I've covered a lot of the mosques throughout the UK um, in raising awareness and trying to engage with the mosque goers, but potentially the mosque goers are men, not women. And is getting into the women's groups then I mean, like I mentioned earlier on, if I may, my mum learned about my diagnosis and treatment. And because she's very popular elder, you could say, in the community here, she will now, whichever women's group meeting she goes to, she will raise awareness on hepatitis and say, if you're not feeling well, please go get tested. Right. And she has her own helpline, you could say. <laughs> so that's one step at a time. And that's fantastic. Grassroots, starting at the bottom, working together. Yes. Stacey, I know that you're going to say collaboration is absolutely key to short-term as well as long-term, but have you got any specifics? What advice maybe would you give to other organisations planning to collaborate to support Hep C elimination? Interestingly, we the Substance Misuse Services have developed a provider network and we've made a commitment and a mission statement and the there's five points on the mission statement. The first one is our absolute continued support for hepatitis C elimination. But in the short term, we have to get back to testing in services. We have to, because of COVID, it's been, you know, it has been affected. And one of the strong mission statements is we now have to really get back to testing, get back to testing through front and services. Also, you know, look at our harm reduction. If you you think about it, we can get people treated and, and tested and treated. But if they continue to inject, then there's the big worry around reinfection rates. So one of the commitments is that we we you know we really look at a strong look at the models around harm reduction. 
and the biggest one for, for me was is sharing our innovations and experience and collaborative working. We we need to learn from some of the great stuff that's going out there, like postal testing that other organisations are doing, that other we can get those ideas from them and have that joint, a real joined up, um, you know, mission statement and points that we can take forward into every service. But the biggest message for substance misuse is can start testing, reinvigorate your testing and start to look at your people that are positive within your services and get them back into treatment. Well, I think for me, the big thing is around education. But when I talk about education, it's about the staff who are doing the testing, making sure that they understand so that we've got them engaged from the start. Because again, you know, like when Chabana's sort of talks about, you hear Stacey talking, they're very passionate about what what they're doing. And what we want to do is if the staff have the understanding, so make sure that we know refresh that education about hepatitis C. But another biggie for us is, okay, so we've done that refresh on the education, is make sure we've got the robust pathways in place so that again the staff know how to refer into services to get the patient's treatment i think that's got to be for me something that we've got to make sure that is clear and reviewing what our pathways are and can we make them any slicker can we make them any easier and make sure that people are aware of how to do that now stacy strategy can be a bit of a dirty word sometimes but there are times when it can be invaluable. What's your thought on how important strategy is here? I think it's incredibly important, um, especially within substance misuse services. One of the things that we can do is that we we develop a national strategy for your organisation that then drives from the top into local services. There's a national strategy and then you have your local strategy that fits in with all the local pathways and processes. But it's also important around developing data management, all the things that allows us to find people and treat people and test people. So the, the national strategy gives gives the work, it gives the staff, gives the people who use services the real, you know, a real impression that we take hepatitis C testing and treatment important and that it's right up there with our organisational strategies. Shabana, speaking of strategy, if we look locally, of course, there's so much variation in the incidence of South Asians in different parts of the country, what proportion of the population they make up. I know you have some concerns that South Asian testing in particular has taken a bit of a back seat more recently. Do you think that's something that ought to be built into local strategies or should it, should it be right up there with national strategy and then trickled down? I think it should be a bit of both. I mean, obviously, if it's in the national strategy, it will trickle down to the local strategies as well. I think it's not being picked up enough. To be honest, not enough is being done. It's taken a bit of a backseat on all the strategies and it needs to come to the forefront. So your call to action is put South Asian communities up the agenda where Hep C is concerned? Yes, very much so. I mean, along with the other communities as well, South Asian community do need to be tested and treated and the edu- education needs to be out there as well. And I think I've beaten enough drums <laughs> and enough doors <laughs> to highlight that as an issue. People are still travelling abroad. People are still having you know, uh, medical treatments abroad and they're picking it up. And we need to test that. We need to treat them as well. So yes, it needs to come to the forefront. That needs to be, I think, in the long-term strategy as well. It has to be done. The sooner the better. So in 2016, the World Health Organization set a goal to eliminate viral hepatitis as a public health threat by 2030. We've alluded to it several times. But 
what is your message to decision makers, to key stakeholders to ensure elimination in the UK by 2030? Shabana. I think they need to, like they have been doing, collaborating with other organisations, make sure, making sure that they are getting the information out there, not just to the public, but to the healthcare professionals as well. And then from there, as mentioned before, the pathways have been created to make good usage of those pathways as well and put a lot of money into it. It needs to be done. <laughs> we need funding to continue the work that we're doing. Stacey, from your perspective, policymakers, what do they need to know to ensure elimination in the UK is achieved by 2030? I think for me and for substance misuse services, we need to have that written into our contracts. So it's very clear. It's written into our contracts now, but it it needs to be seen as a real um, strong, you know, cornerstone of what we do. Uh, So that substance misuse services recognise the absolute importance of making sure that people are tested and treated and how the impact that has on recovery of service users, the people who use our services I think they're the two that we need definitely to connect up, that, that if you can get people treated, then they have more chance of actually getting through to recovery and coming off drugs. Do you know, this is a recurring theme. And what I think is so important is that you're turning a negative into a positive. Because what I hear is that sometimes organisations say, or decision makers and so on say, well, what's the point of treating them? They're just going to get infected again. In fact, what I keep hearing from people with lived experience from people who work with those who've had who have had hepatitis C is if you can get the hep C treated you can often treat the whatever it is that you know that that that, that has put that has put them at risk in the first place Diane, what about you? Last word to you. I think for me, it's got to be the funding for the operational delivery networks to make sure that that is still there and available so that we can actually drive this agenda. We've been the focal point in local areas to help push it along with drug and alcohol services, with the support from the Hepatitis C Trust. But it's making sure we've got that funding there, that we can actually continue this work and work in collaboration with these other organisations. Thank you so much, Shabana, Diane and Stacey, for joining us today and for sharing your insights on the real impact of collaboration on hepatitis C elimination. And thank you all, of course, for listening. Tune in to our next global episode as we continue to meet people on the front line of elimination efforts to discuss the current status of HCV elimination and the urgent actions that are needed to ensure we can reach that elimination. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the HEPcast. The HEPcast is a collaboration between the World Hepatitis Alliance and Gilead Sciences Europe Limited. The HEPcast is fully funded by Gilead Sciences Europe Limited.